This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey everybody, this is Lane with the Simple Passive Cashflow Podcast. Please show your appreciation by leaving me an iTunes review. I know I say that all the time, but um, still trying to get up there on the top of the rankings for the email subscription list. Try not to just send you guys just garbage. It's mostly when there's an update on a new podcast, which I'm going to try and make the show notes a little better and put additional resources in those things. And of course, the Hui Deal Pipeline Club gets signed up for deals. Today, we have Andrew Savikas from Yield Talk. He is an investor himself. And he is a this is his own website, which you guys can check out, which we're going to talk about today, Yield Talk, which goes over a lot of the crowdfunding platforms out there. And he's built a pretty cool website for you guys to check out for those of you interested in, in crowdfunding. But how are you doing today, Andrew? I'm doing great, Lane. Uh, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah. So why don't you go over a little bit about your journey into real estate investing, and then we'll get into the great resource that you built. Oh, sure, sure. And I, you know, the more I learn about real estate, the more I realize that there are no, you know, the, there's no standard journey into it. Um, for me, it was certainly quite roundabout. I, I spent uh, almost 10 years working for a technology and training company. Um, and so was was very familiar with and, and understood the startup ecosystem. Um, and, and after that, spent about five years as the CEO of, a, of an ed tech company, providing online training to Fortune 500 companies and, and a number of customers like that. And along the way, had, had dabbled in uh, investing through platforms like Funders Club and, and WeFunder. I think Funders Club just turned five years old. That was one of the first um, online platforms for investing in startups. Um, but it was not something I had a tremendous amount of time to, to put into. And after I, I left the CEO job, I, I made the choice uh, after my second child was born to kind of take a step back and uh, spend some time, you know, really you know, being there for my kids while they were still young. And uh, I had the chance to do that. And during that time, over the last 12 months, especially ha have started exploring uh, in, in earnest, the uh, online investment and alternative investing ecosystem. And so what started as looking at, at, at startup platforms, and since I had looked at them the last time, there were now, you know, it looked like 10 or, or 20 or, or more. And I started, uh, you know, getting drawn into looking at real estate. You know, you, some of it sort of, you see some of the ads or, or you sort of hear things on, on blogs and started looking at those. And, you know, as a, as an investor, I was approaching it from a, a fairly omnivorous perspective of, you know, I was curious about real estate, but also uh, P2P lending, also you know, startups, also other alternative investments. And, you know, was really struggling to find any resources that, that helped me see across those kind of asset classes. Um, you know, and the more I discovered, the more platforms I found, the more choices there were. Uh, you know, I started uh, cobbling together, you know, spreadsheets myself to sort of keep track of all these and, and ultimately decided to put a little database together and, and uh, it sort of developed from there. Um, and I, I figured if, if it was useful for me to understand this ecosystem and, and, and navigate the choices in real estate, in equity crowdfunding, in alternative investments, um, then some other folks might find it helpful too. Um, so that's where Yield Talk was, was born from. Um, and, you know, I've, I've tried to, to do what I can to help others in, in my shoes, you know, get a sense of, of what kind of choices are out there. Right now, the crowdfunding thing is sort of becoming a big buzzword. And it's nothing too new. I mean, what did it come out about 2008, 2010 from the, the crisis as the uh, way of opening up markets and making funding available for folks? And, uh, you know, you hear about the Reg D, 506 offering, 506C, 506B. You know, this this is like the wave of the future, right? I mean, 
this uh, this crowdfunding thing. I call it the, the land grab. I mean, right now there's all these websites out there jockeying for position of I mean, who's who's going to be like the eBay, you know, eBay of online auctions, or who's going to be the Amazon of the online marketplace. That's pretty much what Yield Talk is. It's one guy, and Andrew's trying to aggregate a bunch of spreadsheets and his analysis all into one place. And I guess Andrew, did you ever do any uh, kinds of single-family home, multi-family? a direct investment where you're the semi-investor landlord? Uh, you know, the closest I got was my wife and I, uh, when we were living in Boston, we had sold a house that we were living in and, and were renting. And we had we bought a, a second house in Connecticut um, that, that we had as a kind of a vacation and weekend place. Uh, I was traveling a lot for work. and It was a place my, my wife could bring the kids to be closer to her family. And our intention all along was that we would have it as a second home for a few years and then rent it out. Um, so it was, in, in that sense, an investment property. But the way things worked out, we ended up actually uh, leaving our apartment in Boston and moving into that house uh, full-time. Um, and we've since since sold it. But, uh, you know, I, I could stretch and say, yes, it was an investment, but uh, ultimately it didn't really look or, or feel like the kinds of sort of active real estate investments that, that I know folks like you and your listeners, you know, do quite regularly. You know, for me, and I, I certainly thought quite seriously about it. I, you know, I went, I got as far as applying for some loans on some potential fix and flip properties, um, you know, set up an LLC to, to get some, uh, you know, get things ready to pull the trigger on that part of process was me realizing that, you know, right now at this stage of my life, the right choice for me was to stick with things that were a little less active. So, you know, I've continued to, to do things on the crowdfunding side, um, both in and, and out of real estate. A lot of the listeners on here are the working W2 employees you know, they're in the box. What made you think outside of the box, you know, instead of the, the old stock market? Like me, you, you ventured out. And how, what was your journey through that? You know, some of it stemmed from from my exposure and experience with the technology and, and the sort of startup ecosystem. And I, you know, going back to in my, my sort of early, earlier in my career, um, you know, I, I had I was learning a lot about the, the, the tech space. The, my employer was a sort of well-known brand um, in technology. And this was right around the time of the, uh, the Google uh, IPO, um, which, you know, in hindsight was actually, you know, sort of an interesting, I don't know if you recall that, but they did this fascinating Dutch auction model um, where, you know, it was a very sort of democratized way of setting the price for an IPO and providing access uh, to, to the general public in a way that, that was not common, certainly at the time. And, you know, based on, on what I knew um, from, from my, my work, you know, I, I had a lot of confidence that this was going to be a very valuable company and, and would really make a great, great sort of long-term investment. It was interesting. At the time, I, I was, uh, I had just finished writing a, or signed a contract to write a book uh, for my employer, which was a, a publisher. And as part of that, you know, you get an advance. And I think the advance was uh, $8,000, something like that. I mean, it was not a huge chunk of money, but, you know, for, for a young couple uh, struggling to make ends meet in an expensive city like Boston, it was, it was you know, non-trivial. And I recall at the time, you know, having some conversations with my wife about what we wanted to do, you know, certainly save some of it. But there was an interesting conversation that, that I recall where two of the choices that came up on the table were, were one, you know, I was sort of making a case that, that I was really excited about Google and, and where they were going and thought it would be great to put some money in this IPO. My wife being, uh, you know, infinitely more, more pragmatic was, was reinforcing that we needed a couch, especially um, a couple of years after the dot-com crash. Cooler heads prevailed and, and we got the couch. And, and of course, you know, if, if I had put some of that money into, into Google at the time, it would be worth quite a bit more now. Um, but it was, it was sort of an early signal that, that I sort of started to understand how, this, how it works with um, some of the sort of non-traditional assets, whether it's startups or other things that, you know, if you have a perspective, if you have an insight, if you have a certain sort of, you know, way to analyze something, you, know, you, you sort of can give yourself an edge. 
And you know, that was always sort of in the back of my mind uh, throughout my career. And, and certainly I have plenty of money in the stock market. Most of my retirement fund is, is, is in you know, uh, index funds, that sort of thing. You know, that's always been part of my uh, thinking and experience is that there's a place for uh, some percentage, whether it's five or 10 or 15 or 20%, depending on your situation, um, to do some of these other uh, interesting things. And then I was very profoundly moved by the work of Nassim Taleb, and in, in particular, his book, Anti-Fragile, and the notion of convex and concave risk, and the benefit of placing at least a small number of bets on things that have essentially uh, infinite upside. Um, so that's you know, equity investments, whether they're in real estate or startups, um, that that can have a really, really profound impact on your long-term prospects for, for generating outsized wealth. Yeah, I like that idea a lot. The, um, I call it the, the pyramid. Traditionally, we're told to go after the index 500 or you know, the more riskier stocks as opposed to bonds and you know, international investments that are more upside. But you know, I tell listeners that you, know, you need to build that passive cash flow base, which is usually with a rental home here and there. And, you know, get that to one, two, three thousand dollars passively a month. Then you can start going after bigger things like flips or multifamilies or heck, even like land investing or even startup investing. And, you know, I like that a lot. And, you know, part of what we got in that Hui Deal Pipeline Club is like a lot of different investments. Not to say one is more than the other, but exactly. I like what you're saying with that convex and concave thought process. Certain portions of your portfolio should be. You know, trying to go for that home runs, but you know, most of it is singles and doubles. And it really depends on your personality. I mean, me personally, I don't really need that much money. I just want to be secure and have that baseline. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think that there's something, you know, I've sort of picked up from the real estate ecosystem that people sort of understand, sort of come to it very intuitively about the importance of that sort of ongoing long-term cash flow. Um, and, you know, I think in part because a lot of people, especially if you're in those sort of W-2 jobs and to the extent you're vesting, it's, it's often in a 401k, an IRA, where, you know, you, you may be getting dividends, you may be getting uh, capital gains, but you're not really paying attention to it as a as real cash flow. You just sort of see a balance going up over time. And I, I don't know that people um, really appreciate uh, you know, until you start to get to a stage in your life where you're, you're really that way. So I think that's a great benefit to getting involved in real estate is, is starting to really internalize, you know, cash flow is a really important part of, of your thinking. And every situation is different. I mean, some people say, oh, is the, the coconuts good? Is the hotel investment good? Or is this rental good? And it's like, well, it's all depending what your war chest is and what your goals are. So no solution fits all. You know, something when I, when I was bringing you on, Andrew, you know, traditionally we're a little bit more do it ourselves. you know, we don't fix or flip or do anything like that, but a lot of us are landlords or investors and properties that we directly manage. I wanted to bring you on because, you know, it seems like you've got a little perspective on a different way of going about this. And it seems like the most unsuccessful people have this like ego about them where they are unwilling to see other ways of doing things. I guess a case in point are those bogglehead guys who just like get so inundated with the details of the stock market and they become so entrenched and believe that they're smarter than the rest of everybody and they can outsmart machines. I just want to highlight what you said, you know, hey, this crowdfunding, something's a little different. I think some of the listeners out there might be thinking, well, screw that. I'm going to make, you know, two times that by doing it myself. But, you know, here's an option that's scalable. You have a little bit better liquidity because some of the deals are shorter. Yeah, you're not getting the higher returns, but like you said, about 10 to 15%, you mentioned, good piece of your portfolio. So if you're kind of shutting down and 
don't want to hear about crowdfunding. Well, that's a sign that things need to change and something else might not, you might miss the boat on something, the next biggest thing. Guess Andrew, would you um, go into some of the metrics that you kind of key in on some of these crowdfunding sites? It's it's certainly a an evolving process because one of the things that became clear the more the more platforms I find the more diversity uh, is evident in this ecosystem. I think I'm up to about 85 now, and, and that spans a lot of them are real estate. There, you know, no question that real estate you know very quickly took advantage of some of these these new funding opportunities, and and that's perhaps unsurprising. You know, given the the size and the scope of real estate as an industry, um, but you know it includes uh, you know P2P lending, includes some very sort of esoteric things like you know there, there's a, a platform out of Houston where you can uh, crowdfund uh, make crowdfund investments in oil and natural gas wells. Um, there's another one where you can invest in you can acquire the royalty performance royalty rights for music. Um, there's just this fascinating ecosystem out there, and you know certainly part of it is diversification, no question. Finding things that are are not correlated uh, to the stock market. Um, you know, real estate has long been been one of those. Um, and for a lot of people, um, you know, angel investments and startup investments are the same thing. There's there essentially zero correlation between venture capital and the broader stock market. You know, some of the things that that you know you sort of notice some patterns if you look at ten or twenty or thirty or forty of these things. A lot of what I, I tried to look at is I, I'm very careful. I'm not trying to tell someone whether something is a good investment or not. Obviously, you know, your point about the bogleheads. I mean, I, the sort of existence proof of bookstore shelves fill it to the brim with all manner of investment books and advice, all purporting to have the sort of one right way of doing things is a reminder that there is in fact, no one right way. It's going to vary quite a bit for any individual. Um, so, you know, my, my intention is, is not there to, to say, you know, this is good for you. This is a good investment. This is the right choice for you. It's going to depend a lot on people's circumstances, but based in part of my own experience, what I really try to do is, is sort of surface some of the, the kind of things that you would expect to find you think about when you when you look at a, a potential hotel you're going to stay at on, on TripAdvisor or a restaurant you're going to eat at Yelp. You sort of want to know what's the atmosphere, what's the general price range, what are the hours of the operation, some things you can do to sort of fit with a pattern of the kind of place you might have been to before. And, you know, it's not, you're not going to really know for sure until you get there. Um, but, you know, a lot of those sites can give you a little bit of a, of a perspective to help you narrow your choices. And that's in some ways what I've tried to do. Um, so, you know, some of the things that I've tried to sort of surface are, who is this open to? You know, is this open to everyone or is it limited to accredited investors? Um, what are the minimums if there are any minimums? So some are, some minimum investments are $10. Uh, some are $25,000. And I think that's an important thing for people to go into sort of having a sense about, you know, what's the track record? How long have they been around? Do they have a profile on Crunchbase where you can sort of see what their funding is? Um, are they, you know, other important question is what kind of entity are they? Are they a broker dealer or do they have an affiliation with one? You know, have they made filings with the SEC that you can review? You know, are they transparent about the, the fees? You know, I'm not going to necessarily make a judgment about whether the fees are reasonable or not. That's going to be ultimately the choice of the investor. But I think it's important that the companies are, are clear up front about what those fees are. So those are some of the metrics that I try to surface and present in a way to help people sort of make some of those choices. And what are some of like the checks and balances? Uh, hey, here's this Andrew guy. I mean, does he have any affiliations with any of these uh, these larger groups of crowdfunding? I mean, yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I, I try to be clear. It's, you know, this stuff is my opinion. You know, it's information that people, I want to help their thinking. You know, the same way that I, I remember as I was researching these things, the first thing you do is you go to Google and you start to see what are people saying about this. Um, and I'm trying to provide a useful 
uh, piece of information people can use as part of the overall picture. Um, but you know, it's it's just me and and you know, it's 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 my opinion. Um, and you know, to the extent you know, I try to be clear about it. But you know, certainly there's advertising on the site, and as you can imagine, there's there's platforms that understand this as an audience. They're you know very very high intent audience they want to reach. You know, at the same time, I'm clear with them that you know the the editorial uh, perspective is is mine, and you know that's not for sale. Um, and any time that the there is content, say a video or you know other material that's that's there as part of a sponsorship, then you know I try to be really clear and, and label it that way. Obviously, I can understand people would sort of question my affiliations, and I've sort of tried to be transparent about that um, on the site. Great answer. Great to respond to that. I mean, I get the same thing on my website too. I mean, I, I bring people on and, it, you know, it's not a endorsement. Things change. So uh, if you guys want the latest and greatest, you guys have to sign up for coaching or uh, sign up for the Hukui Pipeline Club. And that's the really, things change all the time. Yeah, you know, it's just, it's funny. Last last week, there I mean, there were, there were two things, you know, so you sort of go through this effort of, of compiling information on, again, 80, 80 of these things now. And, and one of the things I've discovered, uh, probably shouldn't be a surprise, but not a small challenge to keep up with how much these things are changing. Um, so, you know, as one example, uh, uh, last week, it was announced that that Realty Shares acquired another platform known as Acquire Real Estate. So that's sort of you know it's a small change in the ecosystem, but it is one, and I, I think that's probably just the first of what will ultimately be uh, some more consolidation there. Um, but uh, as another example, there was another platform that that started as a startup funding platform and and then recently pivoted to real estate. You know, they decided that was actually where there was more opportunity. Um, so yeah, this stuff is changing all the time. I, I think you've you've got some good examples of of ways to offer some additional options for people to to try to kind of stay up with this, keep up with what's happening. When I got smart and sold my primary residence to start investing in investments that actually made sense, whoo, I needed a place to diversify quickly as opposed to some money market or some high reward checking account. Let's face it, turnkey rentals are cool and some vacations are great, but they don't come around often. I stumbled upon the American Homeowner Preservation Fund. The owner, George Newmary, once apartment syndicator too, is now sponsoring the podcast. His fund cuts the middleman out to crowdfund the solution to the mortgage crisis in America. They are empowering you to fund the purchase of distressed mortgages and earn returns that smoke any other passive fund. If you find something else better out there, let me know. Oh yeah, they work with families to keep them in their home after buying the underwater note at a huge discount. It's an opportunity to make an impact on families and communities while earning returns. Start investing with as little as 100 bucks in investinhp.com. If you want the free Burn Zone book, please send me an email at lane at simplepassivecashflow.com. I just want to insert some of my own opinions on the crowdfunding. I mean, it, it's great that it gets a late market in there. The successful syndicators, and I know multifamily syndicators, they have people lining up to get into their deal because they're very reliable. They have a long track record and they offer awesome returns that are much higher than those found in crowdfunding sites. Um, but, you know, this is what this is for, right? If you're unable to fly to a meeting and network with the right people, and you don't really have an in in the game because it's not a fair business in terms of networking and, and who's who. You know, this is the next best thing. And I guess, Andrew, what kind of returns are you seeing? I mean, maybe let's just, you know, march down them for a basic fix and flip with about 60, 70% LTV, what uh, investor return would they expect? That's a good question. And, you know, certainly, as with anything, it depends a bit. Um, I, you know, I will say when, when I started sort of my own journey, um, that was actually where I started. I was looking at 
uh, fix and flips, you know, through platforms like Peer Street, you know, and some other ones like that. And you know, I remember at the time it was typically, you know, they were looking at 10 or 11% was the, was the return for investors over usually a 12 to 18 month loan term. Um, and then, you know, what you started to see over the last 12 months in particular, especially as more of these, these platforms emerged, I think there's a lot of sort of fighting for both borrowers and uh, investors. Um, you start to see uh, some of those yields slipping. So, you know, I, I think if you look now, a lot of them are, are down closer to, you know, nine, uh, eight or 9%. You know, for me, what, what I ultimately ended up doing on the, the debt side is, you know, after looking at it, this gets back to the, the kind of convex concave thing. You know, I sort of stepped back and said, look, the, the best I can hope for with a debt investment in a fix and flip project, for example, the best I can hope for is that they make the payments on time and I get the full percentage back. That's the best case scenario. Uh, of course, the worst case is the thing defaults and falls apart and I get nothing. The only way around that in practice is, is diversification. Um, and, you know, doing my homework, it, you know, sort of my research suggested we needed probably at least 25 or so loans uh, to really get enough diversification against default to have more confidence that you're going to actually receive that kind of a return. You know, there were two things about that that struck me. One is I, I wasn't prepared to deploy that much capital in real estate, which was an area I was still exploring. And the other was I, I didn't really know I had enough time to do the kind of due diligence involved with 25 different debt deals to feel like I was making a good choice. And I ultimately, you know, became much more comfortable with more of a, of a sort of a fund approach. Um, so alpha flow, for example, time they were offering a fund where you could put in, I think the minimum was $10,000, but they would spread that across 75 or 80 different loans. Um, and that felt much better to me um, in terms of what I was looking for. And I think that at the time they were, you know, and of course, in exchange for that, you're going to give up, you're going to give up some, some spread on that, right? Um, but I was much more confident that they were, I think they were advertising about a nine, nine and a half percent projected return. I was a lot more confident I was actually going to achieve that with their fund model, as opposed to sort of trying to cherry pick individual loans that might eke out 10% or 10 and a half percent. But again, I think more recently, it's, it's been, it's been dropping. And I, you know, I think on those individual debt fix and flip kind of things, um, you know, it's, it's hovering right around 10% is what I've seen. You know, not to toot my horn, but I, for a first lean, First position loan, I'm probably seeing about 12, 14% return. So you've got a delta two to 4%. You know, it, it's substantial, but like, heck, I'm, I'm flying out to all these places. I'm spending thousands and thousands of dollars for networking and right. meeting the right people. I mean, I mean, I kind of laugh at myself. Maybe it's not even worth it. Right. <laughs> you should just put that money into crowdfunding. But, you know, some people who have, Larger sums of cash, you know, that 2 to 4%, that's like an extra 30% on their return on their investment that they would have gotten. And that's huge. Either, no question. And, you know, that's something that comes up a lot in sort of my travels around crowdfunding is this argument that, well, you know, if if you're a professional, you know, syndicator, um, if you're a professional angel investor, you, you know, you're going to do way better than these platforms are offering you. But the reality is most people aren't ever going to be professional investors of any kind, you know, whether it's because they're, they're working a full-time job or because that's not where they choose to, you know, spend as sort of much time and energy as, as obviously that, that you're able to and that you, you enjoy doing it. Um, but a lot of people sort of won't, you know, I think it's perfectly reasonable to sort of make some trade-offs there just because you could spend more, more time and more energy, you know, what it would take to get to that stage. You know, I think not a lot of people are, are ready to put that up. And I don't want to sound like the crowdfunding basher. I think whatever is, gets them out of the mutual funds and stock market, whatever it is, it, it's better than that. Well, <laughs> sure. And, and, and again, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm quite, 
you know, I have a, a more kind of omnivorous kind of perspective about the whole thing. And I, I have investments in all kinds of things. But part of what's so appealing to me about the crowdfunding thing is, is you know, you had, a, you had Amy Wan on and, and she alluded to this when talking about how some real estate developers are using Regulation A, um, even though that was primarily oriented around sort of startups and companies looking to raise capital for, for, for that kind of business. But she, she gave an example, I think, of a, of a hotel uh, that was using it in part to offer uh, shares to residents of the community for a couple of reasons. One was to sort of reinforce strong community relations and give the the community sort of a stake in in what would be an important business, but also to give give those the community an incentive to to be positive and supportive of the hotel and you know potentially even help sort of drive guests there. Right? You know, I think that's a good example of how this ecosystem ultimately is not in my view, about replacing the existing mechanisms that are out there. You know, it's about complementing them um, and adding new kinds of financing opportunities on both the supply and demand side, both to provide access to capital to organizations uh, and individuals and developers who would have struggled to find it from traditional sources. You know, that's very prevalent in the startup side where 97% of uh, venture capital goes to mail-run companies, right? That's a big problem. It's really cutting off an entire sort of category of entrepreneurs. Um, and on the real estate side, I think there's plenty of projects, especially those that don't conform to more traditional single-use zoning um, that really struggle to, to get, get financing. And the idea of being able to provide more uh, more access to capital is, you know, if one of the outcomes of more crowdfunding choices is that more people sort of recognize their both sort of obligation and opportunity to be, you know, financiers in our wider economy, then the better. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, it's definitely a way of the future. I mean, I just saw like the word e-read was patent recently. <laughs> okay. I mean, def- definitely as a way of, you know, a big company goes in, invests in a lot of crowdfunding uh, platforms and the projects they have going on and they just diversify like how you said and package it in like a west coast deal set or east coast deal set or central united states deal set and there's your uh ev <laughs> yeah absolutely and again you know you get better return if you're going to have your you know boots on the ground and and you know personally negotiating, uh, you know, on each deal, of course. Um, at the same time, you know, there's lots of people and I, you know, I see this with, with friends and, and sort of, you know, coworkers or former coworkers, especially in the sort of millennial kind of generation, there's a lot of skepticism about the traditional sort of financial ecosystem for, I think, very good reason. And, um, you know, to the extent this, this is a middle ground between, you know, I think five years ago, if you said, well, you should get into real estate investing. Well, your choices at that, you know, are, are really about, do you really want to get into it, get into fix and flips, get into multifamilies, uh, you know, maybe do a publicly traded REIT, um, but, you know, not a lot of things in between. Um, and, you know, having an opportunity to, for someone to put in a thousand or five thousand, ten thousand dollars into some of these things as the way to learn. And maybe it leads them down the path of saying, wow, I get this now. I understand this ecosystem. You know, I do want to get into multifamily uh, apartments or I do want to become a fix and flipper. Um, you know, I think it's just nice to have some intermediate stages between you're sort of either a real estate person or you're not. Right. I see the crowdfunding as kind of like a gateway drug. It's kind of like the cigarette or marijuana. You know, you try it out. You get a first or second lane and then you see the monthly payments coming in and you're like, oh, I get it. So they flip this house and they make money and they pay me. Well, I'm going to do that flipping thing or I'm going to buy and hold now, do it myself. Absolutely. And, you know, I know it's a common question and, and dilemma about, you know, do I, do I buy a home? Do I rent a home? 
And I think this, you know, is again, a, I think you're right. It's kind of a gateway drug into that, that mindset of, you know, you can sort of have it both ways. I mean, you know, I know there are lots of people um, who do you know, real estate investing full time who, who don't own their own property. They, they rent, right? But they have exposure to the upside of cash flow and equity building through their rental properties. You know, and I, I think sort of breaking people away from that mindset, just like you alluded to about the mutual funds of, of your only choice is to pick one, one, you know, pick which mutual fund you want to invest in. There's a lot of other choices besides you either rent a house and don't get any real estate investment or you own a house as a way to invest in real estate. And there's a lot of things in between. If you guys want to get started with this, um, I mean, you can ask me what I'm doing with crowdfunding. I mean, I personally, I'm more of a real uh, active real estate investor. I am, I'm sort of a real estate operator. So I need my funds personally for, you know, doing my own deals. You know, you're going in here, you're going to look at some of these deals. I guess one of the big things are, is the LTV. What's your thoughts on, you know, what's the acceptable LTV to be looking at? And, and can we take that at face value? I mean, or what kind of due diligence should we be doing? Obviously, different people are going to have different sort of risk profiles and, and risk appetites. Um, and, you know, again, this is, this is a still kind of a new field for me, you know, my own investments and experience. You know, I, I've been really concerned or sort of not interested in, in anything that, that pushes above 70% uh, LTV. Again, I think on some of the platforms, perhaps driven by this sort of crunch to sort of fill the pipeline, you know, I've, you start to see those creeping up. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if you, know, you start to see some people, some of those things not working out very well. And that's another thing that, that certainly surprised me and I'm sure would, would not surprise you or, or many of your listeners um, but you know just how common it is for for there to be delays in the way these deals work um, you know where what you go into thinking is a a 12-month investment on certain terms is all of a sudden now a 16 or 18 or even longer investment because the project got delayed the refinancing is held up um, there's some other issue with the project exactly I mean I got uh, so two. you know I have two in Birmingham right now. They're, they should have been done a couple months ago, but it's not even going on the market yet because they had all these floods and rains and trees are falling. It's like, man, you know, things happen. Thankfully, you're not the flipper. You're just collecting more money the longer right. it takes. <laughs> Right. But I, I do think that's something where, you know, it, it, the platforms, I think, could do a better job of, of, you know, being upfront about how common that is. Um, you know, I know they're probably a little reluctant to publicize how often that happens, but it could be disappointing to, you know, to go into an investment, you know, sort of being sold something that, that is, is presented as a 12 month or whatever. And, and really, all of a sudden, it's 50% or 100% longer than you thought it was going to be. And that can really change your, your return expectations. And that's the issue that I'm bringing up is like, yeah, you've got your money in there for getting 12%, but then Lane's got this like 20% IRR a year deal coming up and now you're screwed. You can't invest in it because you're in that, that other thing. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, that's definitely, I've learned a lot. Part of this has been the chance to apply, you know, my background is on the corporate side. And so applying the sort of corporate finance perspective and terminology to the real estate world. And there's actually a lot of similarities. The terms used are different, but a lot of it's the same sort of principles. But in sort of navigating the important distinctions between the debt and the equity deals. Um, and, you know, I, I think the chance, you know, if you have a chance, chance to sort of really, really understand and feel confident in either a, a, an equity deal or a, an equity fund can really generate those kind of returns. I think that's, that's a, you know, a great place to be able to deploy your capital. And you're right, you'd be really disappointed knowing you had this opportunity and couldn't, couldn't uh, act on it because you were capitals tied up in a, a 10% fix and flip. Yeah, and if you guys don't know what the difference between a debt and equity deal, go back in the archives and just search debt and equity. There's a podcast where I talked about the differences and the nuances of that. Um, another question I have, Andrew, is like, 
so when I'm doing traditionally before crowdfunding and I invest in a project, I'm on title. I'm the first lien holder. So something screws up. I take back the property and I've also done the sloppy second, second position, which gets a higher rate, but a little more questionable. This crowdfunding stuff. So let's just say something happens. The the flipper goes under and now all these people who invested, you know, there could potentially be like 40, 50 people trying to get at this property. What what happens? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and, you know, it's going to vary depending on the specifics of the platform and the investment. But, but in general, you know, in most cases, what you see is that when you're investing in these things, you're, you're not on the title. You know, what, what you're getting is most likely a membership interest in a special purpose LLC um, that, that either itself is an equity holder or a lien holder or is issued terminology varies on platform, but some, some variation of mortgage dependent promissory note, you know, but it's, it is an important distinction that, that these things in many cases as a crowdfunding investor, they're not really secured in the way that people think about secured real estate, the way you're, you know, the way the bank has a mortgage on your house, you don't really have a mortgage on these properties. Um, and so in many cases, you're sort of reliant very heavily on the platform as sort of intermediaries ability to enforce the investment. You know, that's where, I, you know, I think you sort of, there are some horror stories out there about, you know, deals really going south. And, and um, I've certainly had a couple myself sort of go much longer than, than I expected. But another thing that, that I think is happening, and it probably is happening more than anyone will acknowledge, is that, you know, because these, these platforms are trying to build a customer base, and the last thing they want is the negative PR of people losing a lot of money. I know this has happened in a few situations. And again, I think it's happening more than, than anyone is acknowledging. But I think it's some cases when there are problems, I think the platforms are stepping in and repaying the investor, at least their principal back. Even um, though that they're not contractually liable to do so, they're for good PR. That, that's right. I, you know, for them, I, and I can understand, you know, I, I, I don't know the ins and outs or the, 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 you know, what it looks like for them behind the scenes. But, you know, as a, as a former kind of CEO, I, I can imagine making some of those choices about saying, you know what, it's worth eating to avoid the, the sort of bad publicity and the potential sort of negative impact on the, the company and the, and the market in general. Yeah. And, and for those of you guys looking at the IRRs and the interest rates getting back at this, I mean, just know that it's all based on the greater rules theory of the prices are just going to keep going up and up and up. We could be in the seventh, eighth inning of this. And um, I don't buy deals unless the PL shows that today it's going to produce a profit and, you know, based on conservative rent increases. So this is, this is uh, in a way of getting in the game of fix and flipping, but you know, simple passive cash flow way is more just buy and hold rentals, buy and value. So Andrew, uh, anything you want to close? Great. I think everybody should go to Yield Talk and just at least check that out, even though you're a, more of a direct investor but definitely an option. Yeah, absolutely. I would encourage people to, to check it out. Um, I, you know, I'm very eager to, uh, you know, find, you know, new platforms that, that I don't know about uh, to add to the, to the list and would love feedback um, for things people would find helpful in understanding their own investment opportunities. But, you know, the only thing I, I would say is just getting back to that, that idea that, you know, this is a fantastic opportunity to, to play a really important role in our economy, you know, that traditionally has been primarily reserved for, you know, a lot of professional investors or really wealthy people. You know, now the opportunity is to be able to, you know, help direct which, you know, companies get funded, which, which products go to market. And on the real estate side, you know, which kind of developments um, get, get funding, um, which kind of, of projects, um, you know, can, can get the capital they need, even within a community. I mean, there are some platforms out there that are offering, um, you know, very localized 
uh, uh, funding, you know, just like Amy alluded to with that hotel, um, where it can be a very, very uh, practical way to have an influence on, on your community and on the health of the entrepreneurial ecosystem, broader economy. And I think there are, there's a, a really uh, important value to that. Um, I'm super excited to, to be part of this ecosystem and, and having a chance to, uh, I hope in, in some small way, um, help other people um, navigate and explore it. Uh, this would be a great podcast to share with uh, friends. You guys have guys out there who uh, are in that bogglehead camp. Uh, this is definitely the gateway into real estate investing and actual real returns backed by a hard asset. So uh, Andrew, thanks for uh, coming on the line. We'll, um, we'll keep in touch, man. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Lane. I, I really enjoyed it. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.